This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter with The Republic. In today's episode, we're talking about the mayoral race in Tucson. Regina Romero made headlines earlier this year for winning the Democratic primary. We'll break down why this is a significant race and how it may impact the 2020 U.S. Senate election in Arizona. So, Ron, give us the background. Sure. The Tucson mayoral race is set to make historic waves this year with Regina Romero as the likely winner. Tucson is the state's second largest city with half a million residents. It's a city that has leaned left in recent years and is showing no signs of abating right now on that. Republicans failed to be on the ballot this year. Romero is competing against an independent and a Green Party candidate. She's likely going to be the first woman and first Hispanic mayor in the city's history since the late 1800s. That predates statehood. Also, that's nuts. So let's go ahead and dive in. Here to talk about that with us is Joe Ferguson, a politics and government reporter with the Arizona Daily Star. Thanks for having me on. So, Joe, who is running for Tucson mayor? Can you just give us a quick sense of the people who are on the ballot? Sure. We have three candidates on the ballot. Uh, we have Regina Romero, a three-term Democratic congresswoman with ties to Raul Grijalva. She's been active in Tucson politics for the last two decades, and uh, she is the Democratic nominee. And then there is Ed Ackerley, a independent candidate who has spent the last 40 years as a Democrat. Um, Ackerley decided to change parties in January to avoid the primary, which was very heated and is the um, pick for many moderates and uh, the Republicans in town. Also on the ballot is a gentleman by the name of Mike Cease, who's run for the city council in the past, and he is a Green Party candidate. So, Joe, it feels like this is Romero's race to lose. Can you tell us about her plans for the mayor's race or for the mayor's job and her chances? Well, I think that, you know, Tucson is a heavily Democratic town. Uh, generally speaking, the Democrats outnumber Republicans by a two to one margin. And there isn't a de facto Republican candidate in the race. So in an all-male ballot like this, I think that it really is her advantage in terms of this race. She has put on a platform talking about jobs and um, making the environment and sustainability uh, a top priority for her campaign. She's pushing hard for some changes in terms of making climate change an issue here in Tucson. So that's surprising to have that kind of discussion going on in a 
place like Arizona and in the state's, you know, second largest city. What are the other big election issues that are taking or what what are the other big election issues that are atop of voters' minds down in Tucson? You know, what else what else are they paying attention to? Well, I really don't want to change the subject, but we have a sanctuary city voter initiative on the ballot called Prop 205. And for the most part, now that the primary is over, that really is the top of the ticket and something that is being heavily discussed in various circles in town. It has split the Democratic Party, and many others have come out against it, whether they be the entire sitting city council, including Romero, as well as all of the Republican candidates for a council. And then there have been two different uh, large groups that have spent uh, large sums of money. My last estimate was $335,000 to defeat this Sanctuary City initiative. I think that that has become the topic du jour down here in Tucson. And it's, you know, really put the mayor's race on the back burners in most political discussions. So um, it's inescapable uh, as we consider things like uh, sanctuary city issues and also just demographically, uh, Ms. Romero is a Latina. Why has it taken so long for a Latina to come this close to winning the mayor's chair in Tucson? Uh, it's been more than a century since a Latino has, has held that post. I think it's, so one of the issues is, is certainly the pay. Uh, the Tucson mayor's race is a, is a full-time kind of job. It's very high profile. And a lot of people that have been drawn to run in this area have been either retired or wealthy in terms of owning a business that they could afford to run for mayor. I think there's been a number of people over the years that have been approached and have been interested in the job. But uh, it's hard to be mayor on a salary of approximately $42,000 a year. What does this race, and I guess combined with the 2018 elections and and what we saw take place in Tucson there, what does it say about the electorate in Tucson? Is it changing in a meaningful way? Are the demographics changing? Are the, you know, partisan ratios changing in a significant manner? Well, the outlier is always going to be those independents. Uh, They are the second largest group here in Tucson in terms of registered voters. And it's not always easy to know who they are in terms of whether they lean conservative or they lean liberal. And so we think that Tucson's been a solid blue state and I don't think or city then I don't think that's changed a lot. But, you know, in an election like this, it's really hard to say off years, off cycle elections, Democrats often show up and Republicans stay at home. And this year might not be any different. It really depends on Prop 205. But in terms of, you know, voting citywide, there are only a handful of ward candidates who have really been flying under the radar in terms of fundraising and being out in the public compared to their Democratic rivals. What can you tell us about how the Republican Party is doing in the Tucson area more broadly? Um, It it Obviously, Martha McSally did poorly in the Senate race last cycle. Uh, the mayor's race sounds like it, it is another Democratic uh, triumph on the horizon here. What about 2020? Do, do Republicans have any prospects to do better in 
elections in that part of the state? Well, I think that, you know, we've seen that in CD1, uh, you know, that which we have a small portion of down here in Tucson, the Democrats have largely done well. And CD3 has always been an easy lock for Raul Grijalva to get reelected. So CD2 is where it's competitive. And at the moment, um, you know, it looks like Ann Kirkpatrick has a couple of contenders, but it's really too early to tell whether or not they're going to really grab a foothold in Tucson specifically for voters. Uh, at the moment, it's it's really early to tell, but, um, you know, Republican events are, are pretty small and few and far between. Uh, I go to their weekly meetings um, in Midtown. They often draw 50 to 60 people, and it, it's a good turnout, but generally speaking, you know, the party is small and it is, has a very small budget that it operates off of. So the Tucson mayor is going to have an outsized influence in 2020, whether they like it or not, um, just because both of the major candidates, Martha McSally and Mark Kelly, are from Tucson. It obviously would be a very nice image for Mark Kelly to be standing next to the Latina mayor of the second largest city in the state, which is next to the border and where Mike Pence is probably going to be visiting, perhaps Donald Trump himself. It's an interesting contrast to see. Can you give us a sense of uh, how she might play as a surrogate for Democrats up and down the ballot in 2020? I think that she will be a very active campaigner if elected uh, for those kind of candidates. Mark Kelly, any Democratic uh, nominee that comes through town as well, I think that she really will play a role in helping to deliver those role, uh, those people. She is part of a larger um, Grijalva machine, which has, is well-organized and is able to really kind of get out to the voters very easily. Um, Regina has certainly done very well in terms of having a ground game, and that type of contact with fresh information is going to be important when she wants to help get out the vote next year. Joe, um, what can you tell us about how the mayor's relationship will uh, play out with the, the folks at the legislature and with the governor, as well as the uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema? Uh, is there reason to think she's going to be working collaboratively? Would she be more standoffish? Do we know? We, we don't know, but it seems that Tucson is often uh, the favorite punching bag of the Arizona legislature when it comes to different initiatives. Two years ago, uh, the city of Tucson got into a relatively large fight over a relatively small amount of guns that was melting down that had either been surrendered or seized. That led into a, a very public and very nasty fight with the state legislature and the attorney general. And uh, more recently, the city of Tucson voted to raise the smoking age to 21 and that is now being discussed by both the governor as well as uh, select members of the legislature to see what can be done to essentially overturn that decision. And so it seems that for the moment, uh, you know, Rahina will face what would probably be an antagonistic relationship with the Arizona legislature given its current makeup. Um, as for Kirsten Sinema, we, we see her a lot, um, but she has still failed to open up an office down here. So we um, don't see a lot of her down here in southern Arizona in terms of official visits. So it's unclear how well she'd be working with uh, the Democratic mayor. 
Can you give us a sense of what Romero's relationship is with Mexico and how we might see that play out if she is indeed elected to this position? As she's been a, a strong supporter of trying to in better relation, better have relations with Mexico. Um, she has fought against various actions um, by the Trump administration, which she say is harmful to the uh, city of Tucson. She understands that as a trading partner, that the Mexican economy is very important to Tucson and that tourism from Mexico, it plays a role in the health of the city. And so she's really done her best to outreach. She says that she will continue to make uh, trips down to Mexico to meet with Mexican officials in terms of trying to strengthening that relationship. I, I fully expect that she will build upon what Jonathan Rothschild has already started. Lots of good information, and we will be following your reporting, Joe. Thank you so much for talking with us. If people want to follow your coverage, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find me at Joe Ferguson on Twitter. All right. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you. All right, Ron, let's dive into the afterthoughts. Let's break down how this Tucson mayoral race might reflect larger truths or trends in the Arizona political landscape. Right. You know, so I think you got into it a bit with Joe. Um, We have the two major party candidates in this Senate race next year figure to be from the Tucson area. That's going to be significant in terms of bringing issues that might be native to the Tucson area and a certain frame of reference uh, to that race in particular. It really means that, you know, a part of the state that often takes a back seat in the state's political structure is going to be front and center for change. And this city um, is one that not all candidates pay equal attention to, right? We see um, Democrats uh, spend quite a bit more time there than I think Republicans, with the exception of Governor Doug Ducey. He is a Republican. And as I kind of was wrapping up my time covering him, they were making quite a bit of a big deal of how much time he was spending in Tucson. And I am sorry, but I'm a cynic when it comes to these things. It isn't just because he has a big heart for Tucson. No, but it has uh, reaped some political rewards. So when we were looking at the 2018 election results, you see, if you think of Arizona basically divided into three buckets, Maricopa County, Pima County, and then the rest of the state. Maricopa County is obviously the biggest bucket and matters a lot. Well, Maricopa, uh, Martha McSally, she did okay, but she ended up losing Maricopa County to Kirsten Cinema last year. And the rest of the state, the rural part of the state, she won in lopsided fashion. That helped her, but she got wiped out in Pima County, which is where her district in Congress was based. So... You compare that with Doug Ducey where, yeah, he lost Pima County, but he only lost it by 11,000 votes and he won everywhere else in lopsided fashion. It's the reason that Doug Ducey won going away and why Martha McSally ended up being appointed to the Senate. I think it will be interesting to see how Romero positions herself again, kind of heading towards 2020 and assuming she wins, but by all indications, it looks like she's the the clear front runner. I think that will be a very interesting dynamic. You're already seeing uh, Senator Kirsten Sinema and uh, Democratic Senate uh, candidate Mark Kelly uh, 
tweeting and and talking very effusively about her. It will be interesting to see how she works the ground game for them, not just in Tucson, but elsewhere in the state where she is known as a, you know, a hardworking Democratic, not just activist, but elected official and now mayor in waiting. Right. And I do think that the city's relationship with the legislature is something that uh, is really important looking forward. Uh, Tucson, as Joe sort of alluded to, has often been sort of the whipping boy of the legislature. That really needs to change. And, and it will be a trick for Romero to resist the temptation to just cross swords on a partisan basis to see if she can really sort of represent the city's important interests across the board. It will also be interesting to see how she navigates this relationship with more progressive people in the area and in the party. Um, There are a lot of establishment moderate Democrats who see progressives and the more liberal elements of of the party as being, you know, a threat to any gains that Democrats could make in 2020 and beyond. And you will see her at the tip of the spear on this thing, right along with Kirsten Sinema and others. That's right. We'll have to see how she wants to handle the presidential primary. Oh, <laughs> that's coming on us soon. Well, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Maritza Dominguez with oversight from Kayla White. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week.